Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we are delighted to be joined by Hannah Joy of Middle Kids, who is here to have a chat with us about the band's upcoming new album, Faith Crisis Part One, which is released on February the 16th. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you and uh, whereabouts are you joining us from? Hello, good to see you. It's um, I'm in Sydney, Australia, and I'm actually on in a little beach shack trying to get a holiday, but it's raining. Oh, but, you know, that's good. It's a vibe. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. I hope, <laughs> hope it clears up soon. Um, I mean, at, at the time of recording this, we are um, just a few days away from, from Christmas. Um, do you have anything nice planned for the festive season? And are you kind of off duty as far as, you know, the band and stuff is concerned at the moment? Are you kind of taking it easy over the Christmas break or are you kind of full on preparing for the new album in the new year? It's pretty chill. I've, I'm a big Christmas go get us so we're doing like lots of fun things with friends and family we have one show left for the year it's actually on new year's eve so oh, okay we just got one more show but um it should be fun you know nice. i like bringing in the new year at a festival so yeah it must be fun doing a doing a gig on new year's eve right presumably the room's in good spirits everyone's kind of up for for a fun evening totally and i think also like you know sometimes on new year's eve you just feel like what should I actually do on New Year's Eve? And so yeah. doing a festival is a good vibe because I usually have a mini existential crisis on New Year's <laughs> Eve because I feel like I should be doing something out of this world and a yeah. festival kind of touches the edges of that. Yeah, well, it kind of makes your decision for you, doesn't it? You don't have to kind of mull over, oh, what are we supposed to do this New Year's Eve? It's like, well, I'm doing a gig, so that's it. Yeah. So you, you, your mind Mama's is already work, made up. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um well, I mean, we should, you know, we, we should really kick off with a chat about the new album. Uh, so, Faith Crisis Part One. Can you tell us a little bit of the, the kind of backstory to this album, if you like? When did it first start to take shape? How long has it, you know, been in in production, if you like? What's the, the, the kind of the, the, the grounding, the context for, for how this album has came about? Yeah, I mean, I think it came after a period of um, a lot of angst. You know, I found, you know, we released our last record kind of during COVID and then, you know, I was trying to start writing again and I found that COVID period extremely unfruitful. It was not a good time for me creatively. I think that I'm kind of one of those artists that I like to go out and experience people in the world and then kind of come back and reflect and write. And, and I, it's that like cyclical energy. Um, and in Australia it was pretty, you know, intense lockdowns and we just didn't have any of that. So um, there was like nothing within me to draw upon. Yeah. <laughs> and then also I, ju- I just become a mum too, so that's like a whole other uh. world. Um, but, you know, I think eventually I just kind of kept coming back to the piano and, you know, tr- you're just trying to sit and you'd be patient. And eventually I, I started kind of writing some songs and showing them to the boys. And I think, you know, slowly then, you know, just we started making things together and kind of getting in the studio when we could. And and then there was almost like a floodgate had opened and then I was just writing like heaps, um, which was a, a very nice feeling. And I think that I can often be like that, just be like very – just like what's happening, not really sure, and then all of a sudden I'm like in the zone. The, mm. um, so, yeah, and then it was really cool because 
we came to England to record it and um, we were in this little town, Eastbourne. I don't know if you have been there. I know Eastbourne, yes, I've been to Eastbourne. Very nice part of the world. Yeah, we're like obsessed with it. <laughs> it's it's like we went, we visited Brighton at the same time. It kind of felt like a little sleepy Brighton, you know? Yeah, that's, that's um, a great description of it. Yeah, and so that was very special for us. I think, you know, because often we make a lot of the stuff more in-house. Um, you know, we keep it pretty close and, you know, making this record we did with John Gilmore, mm. we really kind of let him into these songs and um, just adored working with him and loved kind of everything he brought to it. So it's it's cool. It felt, I think that was exciting too because, you know, we've been, we spent a lot of time in America um, touring and, probably, you know, a lot more time there than the UK, but, you know, so much of I feel like my particularly like indie musical taste is from kind of the UK world and so it was special kind of being in that world a bit more, you know. Yeah, very nice. I mean, I I, I wanted to ask you actually about that because I I was going to come on to the fact it was uh, produced um, in the UK. Um, How much uh, of of, of an influence did... Um, Tim Fitz and uh, Jonathan Gilmore, who obviously co-produced the record, how much of an impact did they have on the overall sound of the album? Did you have, you know, a fairly clear blueprint of, of the sort of sonic uh, DNA that you wanted to run through this album before going in to make it? Or was that something that they kind of teased out of the songs while you were in the sessions? How did it kind of arrive at the sound that that, that you have with this album? Because it's a very expansive sounding album, I think, like... It, to me, you know, listen, I've been listening to it this past week and um, it's, for me, it sounds like the most kind of sonically and musically expansive thing that you've, you've done so far. Was that always the intention or <clears throat> did that come around a little bit more organically, just kind of in the middle of sessions? I think it was our hope for the record, I think, and it was almost like our move in wanting to work with John just because of like a lot of the sounds and the sonic realms he has built on other artists that we really love. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of these songs we'd kind of workshopped at home, but then many of them we really kind of let John and Tim really like kind of dissect and get into in the studio. And, you know, I think a lot of that is even just, you know, the drum sounds he was pulling and the guitars, the tones and stuff, he really kind of like... That was like he has a very strong gift and kind of really honing in on finding cool sounds. And I think that was something that we were wanting for this record to kind of elevate our sound a little bit. Because um, a lot of the stuff we've done has been, you know, we've kind of been on that trajectory, but coming from more of a lo-fi and then slowly kind of like, you know, slicking it up a little bit. And I think that, um, yeah, that was our, our hope. And I think we were all really pleased with kind of where we landed on that yeah absolutely i mean the, the, the way you've described it there certainly sounds like that's that's what was achieved um and how how different was the process of making this album compared to to previous ones obviously with the last album there was covid so that you know there, there are kind of obvious factors there but in, in terms of the the writing and then once you were in the studio making it was there anything about this one that felt particularly different or unique or anything that you feel like okay well that's something we definitely want to take into the next album when we come to doing that what were the yeah how how did it compare I guess to to the previous albums I feel like um making this record was 
like I feel like it almost killed me, but in a cool way. Like I think historically a lot of the records have been made almost like a patchwork quilt, yeah. chip away here, chip away there, add this, kind of come back, return. Um, but we spent almost six weeks in the studio with John in England, which we've never done before. Mm. I think tops we've done two weeks, three weeks. And so this was the first time we were, you know, bunking down in a space and just going so hard. I think we took two days off in that whole time. We were going so hard. And I think something really cool came out of that. And we were all shells of humans (laughs) at the end of it. But there was a deep satisfaction because it was like we left everything there, you know, and and there was a – I think a, a good feeling about that because I feel like we gave it everything we could in that space. And I think, you know, I'm particularly very influenced by sense of space and the environment we create. So I think um, it, it's funny, like thinking about, Oh, should, would we do this again? And yes, but I'm almost scared because I was like, <laughs> do we so long to recover from making this thing? But I think, but I'm like, good, you know, I really, I feel that process of pouring yourself out and going deeper, stretching wider is really important as an artist as you're growing. And I feel like we did that. Um, and um, definitely like a few screws have become loose since then. Yeah. We've gone a bit cuckoo, but it's like, it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you're happy with the outcome, then, uh, then it's worth it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, it would actually be totally devastating if we did all that and then, we're like, oh, it's a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, didn't really like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you think that, that that sense of, you know, really throwing all of yourselves into into the process in such a big way was in some ways a reaction to COVID and what had happened before because where people were so kind of cooped up and unable to, whether it's, you know, rehearsing in the same space or writing in the same space or whatever – was there almost a sense of like right now we're allowed back out again, we are going to go full throttle into doing something that we possibly wouldn't have been able to do last time around? Or do you think that you would have probably just, it, it would have wound up this way regardless of, you know, what happened with, with COVID? It's a good question. I haven't really thought about that, but probably yes. Uh, two big factors, you know, playing into that one being COVID. I think that, and, and maybe, you know, us progressing as a band, third album, been doing this for a while now, but I think we got to that point. And, you know, after having this experience of almost feeling like hard to see the future with COVID as a musician, it was very much like, can we keep doing this? You know, we, we yeah. couldn't do it for a long time. And, and almost having that threat to the survival of the thing almost brought out this new not urgency, but feeling of like, oh, man, now, and the fact that we were making the record in a studio I felt was a great gift that we hadn't been able to have for so long and really wanting to, like, look after this thing and to give this thing our all because we'd been through this season of feeling like, oh, we might, this might, we might, I don't know, just not taking it for granted, you know. Um, I think even, like, motherhood and going into that new zone and kind of being like, how do you be an artist? And cause it's so, you know, it takes a lot of you. And I think it was just in this time where I was like, what a privilege to be here and to be able to make this thing. And like, I need to 
give it all. We all need to give it all because, you know, it's not something that's just a given. Whereas I feel like, you know, and, you know, that comes with youth in the first, you know, chapter of our band, we were just like, wee! <laughs> just, I mean, <laughs> I've always just been like, I love touring and making music and it's, you know, I, th- I think that I felt the weight of it a lot more. Yeah. Okay, no, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of, to, to kind of hear that and and I, I always find third albums quite an interesting thing to look at for bands because you know there's mm. obviously the old cliche about you know the difficult second album and all that kind of stuff and it's like I always thought, think you know if you're making your third one that's where it gets really interesting because your first one is your is your debut and the second one's like, okay where are you going to go next and then the third one it's a bit like okay so what are you going to do this time it's almost like you there's there are certain expectations that come with you know reaching that point um mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm always always kind of curious to see how different bands and artists kind of approach that. But uh, yeah, was, yeah, we were actually on tour probably last year with Crowded House around Australia, and we're you know such big fans of them. And I remember talking to Neil Finn, and we were just in the process of making the third record, and he was like, third record is when a band starts to get really good." Yeah. Which I thought that was so funny coming from them because their first record was epic. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> but yeah. And I think about that all the time. And I definitely see that, you know, a lot of bands, uh, bodies of work. But I mean, and I don't know if that is true for us, but it felt, it definitely felt, you know, us kind of digging in a bit with this record, you know? It, it tends to be something, I, I know, at least, you know, maybe it's purely coincidental with, with some of, you know, some of my favourite artists. I always look at third albums. I feel like that's where there seems to be the biggest departure for better or worse. So I think an uh-huh. obvious one that comes to mind for me at the moment is something like Nirvana, where you have the kind of lo-fi bleach record, then you've mm. got the mega popular Nevermind, and then in utero is almost like the reaction yes. against that. And it's kind of, okay, that's where they, I think they kind of found the best form you know and yeah there i mean my mind's drawing a blank now there are other bands where i've thought about this before i've got a bit of a thing with third uh. albums where i feel like yeah there's there's almost like a evolution with the first, with the second record and then there's a reaction against that sometimes with what's what comes after with, with album number three but yeah that's totally. a whole other tangent and uh it's <laughs> a whole other podcast probably talking about third tangent, album syndrome yeah. um but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a little bit about the lyrical content of the album as well, if that's okay. Not not to kind of drill too much into sort of you know what's this song about or what's this song about, but like, did you, as the title suggests, you know, Faith Crisis Part One? It's an album that lyrically broadly deals with you know overcoming and navigating crisis and you know uh, and, and turbulent times and, and and things like that. Did did you have something in mind for the, for this is almost like a concept album? Like this is how what I want this album to address with my lyrics, or did it just naturally turn out that that's the way your your writing was going at the point of making this album? I just was yeah curious to know whether that was a, a like a loose kind of concept or theme from the outset. Mm. Yeah. It definitely wasn't intentional. Mm. I think I'm, I don't. I've sometimes tried to write songs where I'm like I'm going to write about this. Yeah. And I just have never found them to be that inspired. I I often I have to write from a place of just whatever's going on and inside and ch- kind of turning away. And then I think you know by the time we had a a, a big collection of songs for this record because there was a few we made that didn't go make it on the record. You could see very clearly there was this thread 
of the faith crisis and kind of grappling with belief, you know, what's life all about, all of the things. Um, and it was actually maybe it was Tim who kind of noted that. And it was funny because I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if that's something I want to necessarily lean into or highlight mm. as the record title. But then it's like, well, <laughs> that's literally what the whole record's about. So it's like <laughs> maybe, yeah. So I think that um, it just happened to come out of a season for me where I feel like I was writing and 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 using music, I think, a lot to even I find that I'm quite a head-led person, so it can take me a while to get in touch with my emotions and often I'll write a song and I'll be like, that's what, I, why am I singing about that? That's kind of like, it alerts me to like what's going on inside myself. I'm like, yeah. I should probably check in on that. <laughs> um, so I, I think that, you know, a lot of these songs were through a time where I was really trying to, um, I was just questioning a lot and working through a bunch of things and what I, you know, and so, yeah, it just kind of, it, it eventuated or it revealed itself in a lot of ways um, as the the body of work came together. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, I, mean, I, I wanted to, to ask as well, if, if, if it's okay to kind of go right back to, to the beginning with your, your life in music, if you like, before middle kids, um, what was the first point, that, that you remember in, in your life, the kind of music came into it in a, in a meaningful way, you know, was music a big part of childhood? Did you ever have like a, uh, a sort of light bulb moment where like a particular song or a particular thing kind of struck you and that was what ignited the, the kind of love of music in you? What's your, your earliest memory, I guess, of, of kind of discovering music? Um, Man, I really think so much of it is from my family and my dad. My dad is a big music lover and he'd play music a lot. We had one of those big CD towers in our house and he played a lot of classical music actually. And he, I was just telling someone this the other day, he used to turn the lights off in the house and he'd put this epic piece of music on and we'd all just sit there or lie there and listen to it when we were really young. Sometimes it'd be kind of, intense, you know, like thus spake Zarathustra Strauss or something. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> like, um, and it's apparently, you know, the story in my family goes that one day um, when I was about three years old, my parents heard me figuring out how to play Puckabell's Canon on the piano, just kind of like from listening to it. And so then from there they got me into like piano lessons and, wow. um, I, and I, I don't, I, that's not a memory of mine, but I have a lot of memories of just from a very young age being very struck by sound and music. And, and, and actually a lot of it was classical for a long time. Like, I, I mean, I've always loved, you know, songs and pop, but because I got into classical piano very early in my life, it was this big gateway um, and I was like truly obsessed for wow. a very long time and I think that um, so much of that is because I guess that's the palette that was set for me, you know, when you're at home and it's just like going around all the time. Um, so that's pretty cool because I felt um, it's just so, yeah, ingrained and natural and then we had the piano in the house and we'd all – 
I have three brothers and they're all beautiful singers and we just kind of, you know, many nights in the week just sit around the piano and sing. And so it was, it's just like a very big part of my world in a very a, quite a natural free way. Like it, it never felt even maybe as I got a bit older, but it never felt that performative. It was really quite communal and for enjoyment and for expression. And so, yeah, I think yeah. I feel really grateful for that because well, in, I don't know. It's just now I have no choice. It's just like so a part of life. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I, it's cool even reflecting upon that because I think, um, you know, my dad does play a big part. I, and it's so funny. Like I live next door to him still. Oh, wow. And sometimes late at night, I can hear him blasting. <laughs> like the other night, I was like hearing him blast like Russian choral music out the back. <laughs> you know? I'm just like, Cool. I'm like you're way more like rock and roll than I am. <laughs> wow, that's that's fascinating. I mean, was there a point? You know, was is there a, a, an alternative universe where you could have been like a classical concert pianist or something like that? Or did was there a point where you really felt uh, you reached a fork in the road where you're like, no, I want to pursue more of a kind of guitar-y, indie kind of rock pop type thing? What was the point where you kind of diverged from the the classical? you know, realm. If you yeah. Like. I I mean, there was, I was like fully, you know, it was probably my, I kind of started going through a, a very rebellious time in life when I was 15, 16. And it was at a time when I was, re- you know, really training and practicing and, and performing a lot um, of piano. And um, I think that, but it was also at a time where I, I just kind of stopped everything. I pretty much stopped going to school stop doing music and my parents were like, oh, um, and, 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 you know, that kind of that teen time I started finding my indie bands that, you know, I was like, oh, what's this world over here? And that really intrigued me. And I was writing a lot of my own music, um, but I didn't start playing the guitar until middle kids. And oh, okay. it was funny because um, I wrote Edge of Town, which is our first song we ever made on the keyboard. And it was like this, bizarre kind of pop song and Tim and I were like trying to jam on it and it just wasn't working. And he eventually just handed me a guitar and he was like, you should play it on this. And I was like, I think I can play four or five chords on the guitar. And he's like, that's probably enough at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just opened up that song and I was like, Oh, and it was very exciting for me because the piano is very, um, you know, it's it's an anchor, but you can't really move or express yourself as much. You know, with the guitar, you can connect. Like the piano, you know, especially if you're on a big grand piano, you pop the roof and it's just like such a barrier. And yeah. in some ways that, that was nice and safe for me, but I, th- I felt this kind of rush playing the guitar because you're a lot more exposed um, and then really enjoyed exploring writing within the limitations of the guitar too because – you know, when I play the piano, I feel like it's breathing. When I play guitar, I'm like clunking my way around it, you know, still probably um, after all these years of playing it very averagely. But, um, yeah, it's kind of been cool to, you know, go into this guitar world, especially because I love and listen to so much of that music. But it's it that I feel like I stumbled upon it. And in some ways I really miss the piano because of, I guess the relationship I have with it. Um, but, you know, I'm in an indie rock band, so I'm playing guitar. Yeah. 
<laughs> do, do you remember any particular albums or artists that that really caught your ear at that point where you were, like you said, when you were kind of going through that slightly rebellious stage and kind of discovering indie rock and guitar bands and stuff like that? Do you remember any that really had a big pull on you in, in terms of going, okay, actually that is something I, I really want to pursue a little bit more? I mean, yes. I mean, the kind of big band that probably everyone says is, but I think for me, particularly in this realm was Radiohead because yeah. of uh, like my, I remember my brother showed me Kid A and I think because, you know, the instrumentation is so much more than just guitars, like a lot of strings, keys, all of the things. And I felt like I was amazed almost by the synth, him synthesizing or them synthesizing all these different kind of genres and sounds and being like, oh, my goodness. And it was it just felt like this infinite world for me. Um, and and it even like kind of a lot of post-rock music, I think, you know, that kind of were you can tell have like, you know, Sigur Ross or whatever. It's like or Mogwai. They, they, they come from these big expansive worlds of sound um, but very guitar, the guitar is so prominent, but I felt like, you know, it was much, whereas like say Tim comes more from like a folk background, which is taking me a lot longer to almost kind of get into because it's, you know, and it's so much about the, the form of like songwriting and, you know, so, but yeah, so some of those bands I think were massive for me and kind of really like cracking the lid open. Yeah. I, th- I think Radiohead's always it's such a fascinating one when you look back these days at, at something like Kid A because it's, it's I mean this I mean, what's it now twenty three years old something like that and it still sounds like it, it was impossible I think I remember at the time people me being one of them I, I at first was a bit like I, I don't know what this is I don't really understand where they've gone like what. It was it was quite mind blowing thing, and a lot of people were kind of quite critical of it. I think at the time it was massively celebrated, but also there was a bit of a backlash. I was like, "What on earth is what on earth have they made? Like this is well, this yeah, is unrecognizable and it's interesting. As, as indie quote unquote music, and now it's it's yes. rightly kind of seen as you know the a kind of major turning point in the road for, for sort of rock music. I think as we know it is such a remarkable piece of work. I know, and because for me that was the first I'd heard of them. Mm. Like I didn't have any, I hadn't been on the journey. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder what that would have been like to have, you know, had those first few records and then and be like, wait, what? But I was like, I remember so clearly my brother like burnt me the CD. Yeah. <laughs> and I was at school sitting on these library steps and I put it in my Discman and I was just like, I don't know, it would have been 12 or 13 maybe. Yeah. And it was just so crazy, but it I had no reference point or no kind of, oh, why are they doing this? It was just this new thing I was listening to that absolutely blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's always interesting to hear about how people responded to that record, I think, you know, because it's obviously mm. been so influential for so many people. And, um, mm. yeah, when, when you kind of just talk to people about, how, you know, what was it like when you first heard that album? Particularly, like, if you were around that kind of age, at the time, because I think I was about sixteen, I think when that album came out, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was like just at the tail end of the like the whole Britpop thing. So where it was kind of you know UK bands all about you know Oasis, Blur, that kind of thing, and then this album comes out, and it's like whoa, this is still sounds unlike anything else. But um, yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, so, so how did you know from that point where 
you you first started you know playing around with a few chords on the guitar the very early days of middle kids did you always feel from when the band formed that this was this was the direction now and that it was a case of not necessarily leaving classical music behind as in you know a, a thing to listen to or to enjoy but did you feel quite headstrong at that point like this is this is the direction i want to go and this is the thing that's kind of the most um, enjoyable or fulfilling thing for me to do musically or were there ever any points where you felt like almost a bit out of your comfort zone as you said you're a really you know accomplished pianist and you've got this instrument that you you're not, not as well versed in did you ever feel a little bit like kind of going back to it and going, actually do you know what i'm i'm far more at home at the piano i'm gonna i'm gonna drop this was that ever a consideration you know i think it's been something i've been thinking about more recently mm. um i'm still i still love what we're making um and and you know even in the band there are, there are piano moments in our music mm. so it's not fully neglected yeah. um but i think that there is part of me where i miss i don't know some aspects of and not even classical but just kind of singing kind of carol king style you know playing the piano and just singing a melody over it and things like this um but something i was very drawn to at the origins of the band was even being in a band that was very out of my comfort zone um i think classical piano does not set you up to be um it's not does not set you up well for improvisation collaboration it's very I mean, unless you're playing with a big orchestra, but even then you're just, it's, it's, it's not about jamming or, and I would see these people creating music and that energy and really longed for that, but also felt totally afraid and had no idea how to do that. And so it was very exciting to me to be able to be in a position where it was more communal, you were connecting with other people and you were creating something together. I was very drawn to that. Um, So, I think, and, and I still am even, and it's still so funny because, you know, Harry, our drummer's a jazz drummer. So, and it comes from, you know, just a big world of playing with so many people and improvising and, and Tim is just a freak and he can do everything and is, and just can get into any zone and just play. And they're so funny because they just, you know, pick up things. And, and I'm often like still, even though I can play everything by ear and, I know what they're playing. Um, the, that confidence of just being able to be like, I'm just going to play. We're just going to jam. Is still, I still have to like push through mm. a barrier within myself, I think, because I just did not grow up in that context yeah. um, of kind of just like putting it all out there, making things and just winging it. I'm like, what's the right thing? <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. it's like <laughs> there is no right thing. Um, so I, I love that and I feel really grateful to be, um, you know, in that with them. Mm. Um, I think more just in terms of the music that we're making or the music I want to make. I feel like there's a, I mean, there's infinite music to make and that feels very exciting to me, but sometimes I, you know, and I hope to one day make like a sad electronic album or like all these, like a sad dance music and um, even just, yeah, like a piano singing stuff. And, but I don't feel, um, I just trust that that stuff will come and I feel so, you know, to be in a band and to keep going together and to keep loving each other is a big deal. And the fact that I feel like we still are in a place of a lot of, you know, 
love and goodwill and excitement after three records, I don't take that for granted. So I'm like, we should keep following this thing and we love what we do and we love what we're making. And so, you know, I just trust that there'll be different times where I'll make different things. And um, so, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to, to chat to us. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, I wish you all the very best with the album when it comes out next year. Um, uh, just once again, uh, for our listeners, that's February 16th is when the new record Faith Crisis Part 1 is released. Um, Hannah, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.